0: This is Nursing in America. Each week we speak with incredible nurses who have taken the leap to start a new life in the United States. If you're thinking about doing the same, then this is the place you'll find all the insider knowledge and inspirational success stories to realize your own American dream. This is the second part of a two-part episode, so make sure you go back and listen to part one first.
1: Welcome to Nursing in America. I am your host, Tanya Friedman, chief executive officer here at Kinetics USA. I've invited Luciana De Silva to be the guest host for a few episodes. She'll be speaking with nurses now living in America to figure out what life is really like. Enjoy.
2: Today, I'm speaking with Tanima. She's originally from Bangladesh, currently working as a nurse in South California. Let's see how it's going. When you are setting up an apartment, Okay. What is the process that you went through first to find the apartment? What did you use? How did you go about just finding a place?
1: Okay. So that's actually a tough one. Unfortunately, you know, here the apartment application, of course, they want to look at history. And you coming to the US, you have no history. So when I came in, what I had to do is that I applied and I didn't get an apartment. I was basically like soul searching, however, whatever cheap place I could find. And, you know, I was also looking for a roommate and the on-campus housing through school, they were way too expensive. And I was trying to live off campus just to save a little bit more money. But the problem I had is that, you know, no apartment would accept someone who literally just got in the country because they don't know you what I had to do is that I had to meet up with the apartment manager and I had to show them my, you know, bank account. And I had to show them how much I have in my bank account. And then I had to show them my I-20. I had to show them my passport, like just to have them believe that, okay, this is me. And I don't have any criminal record or, you know, any such thing. But for some apartments, that won't be enough. They will actually ask you to include a co-signer with you on the lease, someone who has a social security number and someone who is either a resident or a citizen in the country. So that actually varies from apartment to apartment.
2: Did you buy renter's insurance?
1: Yes, that's a must. You have to buy a renter's insurance. So for all the apartments I lived in, it's mandatory. It's a requirement that you have to have a renter's insurance. And most apartments, they say their renter's insurance has to cover at least 100,000 in damage. So if they don't, then you cannot have that. Like it has to be 100,000 or more.
2: Great. And what was it like setting up your power bill, setting up your Wi-Fi, all those things that you need to do when you first move into a place?
1: So once again, like all these things, the first time that's going to be the roughest because, you know, of course, every, everywhere you call electricity, gas, internet, you don't have a record. They don't know you. So what I had to do is that at first I had it with Time Warner's cable, the Wi-Fi, now they're Spectrum. So what they did for me was that they held my credit card on their record and they asked me for an extra deposit in case, you know, I miss any payments because, you know, they didn't know my credit history. I didn't have any, so they don't know me. So they don't know if I'm going to miss any payments or not, if I'll be able to make payments. So they held my whole credit card on their file just in case, you know, I missed any payments. But yeah, I was able to get a
2: plan through Spectrum. So what about taxes? How do taxes work here? Okay, so...
1: Of course, you're going to be paying taxes pretty much everywhere, anywhere you buy, anything you eat, even in restaurants. But for the most part, taxes will also be deducted from your paychecks. So right now, since I'm working at a hospital, you know, it's a real full-time job. So they actually take the taxes from every paycheck I get. And then at the end of the year, you can file tax return in case you paid anything extra or, you know, you went to school and you worked, some stuff like that, you can be eligible for a tax return. And just in case, you know, there is any Bangladeshi like me watching this video, so I want to include a little bit of good news, which is that when I was actually in school uh, and I was working as a tutor in my school, I fortunately didn't have to pay any tax because U.S. has this treaty with Bangladesh where if you are making less or equal to $8,000 a year, you don't have to pay tax. So that's the paper that you sign. And then if you sign that treaty, you get your entire paycheck, given that you make $8,000
2: or less a year. That's a really cool treaty. What other piece of advice would you give people from India, nurses from India, even their spouses, their families, coming to the United States? What's the biggest piece of advice that you could give them? Be curious, have a positive attitude, especially at workplace and
1: you're in a new country. It's not gonna be all happy, happy all the time, but you know, have a good positive attitude towards everything, you know, respect people around you. And I've been living here for more than five years now. And honestly, I have like 99% good experience. That 1% doesn't even count. It doesn't even come to my mind. And this is a great country. People are great.
2: So welcome. So many people from India come here and it's absolutely wonderful. What was the number one thing that you struggled with that you think most Indians might also struggle with because of a difference in culture or whatever it is that might be like that? And what advice would you give them? So I'm not Indian, by the way. Bangladesh. Sorry. Sorry. Yes. (laughs) I'm losing myself here.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, it's similar, you know, Bangladesh, India, and Pakistan, we have like a lot of similarities in our culture. So it's hard just, you know, I was a teenager when I came here and doing everything by yourself, that's going to be difficult. And honestly, uh, for me, the culture, all that other stuff. It was just extra. I was just trying to get by. Most days, I was just trying to you know, get by and, you know, have a little bit of food and make sure that, you know, I still get A's or B's in my classes because unless I'll lose my scholarship. So in my head, that was the most important thing. It didn't matter whatever else was happening around me because, you know, that was my goal to finish school and, you know, to advance my career. So all the other stuff, they were just external noise (laughs) I wasn't paying attention to most of those stuff because you know as a student I was working there was a time that I had two jobs in school and then I was studying full-time as well so it's going to be difficult it's not going to be an easy journey but just keep your heads up I mean if you accomplish your goal and I know people will so you know it's very rewarding at the end The most thing I struggled for the first few months is that, you know, just the loneliness because just you not having anyone trying to figure out everything by yourself. That's difficult. That's very difficult. And I had friends. I started hanging out or like knowing people as I went along. But for the first couple of months, it was just extremely difficult. And just that's the most crucial part, you know, just not giving in through that first couple of months because you're
2: in a new country. It's a whole new environment, so. I've been through culture shock before. I -hmm. I moved to Japan for a few years. Really? I've always wanted to be there. How was that? It's awesome. And it was before Google Translate existed. So, like, I couldn't read. I couldn't. And it's it's difficult to be an educated person. And you come to a new place, a new country, a new culture that... And there it was, you know, a completely different alphabet and people shake their heads like yes and no. Like they don't go yes and no. Like they don't know what that is. If I'm saying yes, they, what you saying? I don't (laughs) think
1: Japanese, they don't speak much English though, do
2: they? mm -mm. Like the much younger generation does. Mm -hmm. But, you know, anybody at that time that was over the age of 30 mostly did not speak it. And so there was quite a culture shock there. And I remember like in my first few months, I think I was buying mayonnaise and I couldn't because all the packaging was different. And I just remember calling my mom and just crying because I don't know what I'm doing. And so it's like what you said, it's those first few months and getting through it. Did you deal a lot with culture shock?
1: There was, there was a little bit of culture shock. So, you know, there was a few getting used to a couple things. Like, so uh, I come from a very conservative family uh, and being a Muslim as well. Like modesty was a real big thing for us. And, you know, of course the dressing or the clothing or even the religious views are different. So like trying to be in a new country and still having and keeping and maintaining your own identity, the religious or the cultural one, it's difficult. But just like you said, it's going to be just the first couple of difficult months, but then it's going to be like
2: much better. (laughs) Things will get easier eventually. Wonderful. Is there anything else that you want to add? I don't know. Just focus
1: on your goal focus on what's the reason you're in this country. Like what's the reason for you leaving everything behind and coming here, especially if you did it by yourself, like me, then you better stick to your goal. <laughs> Cause you know, the rest of the stuff, it won't matter. Cause once you have accomplished your goal, it will be like, okay, that's the reason I came here and I did it. And of course, you'll be meeting new friends. You'll be like, learning a new culture. You'll be tasting a lot of different foods. The food here is amazing. (laughs) U.S. has this amazing thing. Like I always admire this that, you know, you can sit here and literally taste food from every single country in the world. I think U.S. is the only country like that. And, you know, it's a beautiful country. Like go travel a little bit if you have the money. (laughs) You love it. What was your favorite city that you visited and why? Oh, Colorado Springs, I think it's called. It's a small town right outside of Denver, if I'm not wrong. I love the cold, and I love the snow, and that was just my snow heaven. It was just so beautiful, all the, you know, rock. Is it the Rocky Mountain in Colorado? Yeah, okay. So, yeah, I just love the beauty, and especially the little houses, like, on top of the mountains, and just their laid-back lifestyle. It was just so beautiful to watch and even just be there and not do anything.
2: <laughs> do you do any skiing, snowboarding, anything like that? Oh, I wish, I wish, but no, <laughs> I I don't know how to do either. I don't either. <laughs> <to> learn, right? <laughs> we need to learn. We'll talk again in several months. and We'll be like, we skied. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> I hope I can say that. I hope so too. We'll get there, but I'm really looking forward to summer. (laughs) So you're
1: the warmer person. You like the warmer weather.
2: Uh, So I live in San Diego.
1: (laughs) That's the best. I mean, summer there, it's the like seventies. That's the best weather ever in the whole world. But if you live in like, Dallas or like Houston, you would wish that summer never gets there because it's like it's going to be 120 degrees and you can't even set foot outside. It's so freaking hot.
2: Yeah, that's there. And a lot of places in the South, it gets Uh really, really hot.
0: We'll be back with the conversation in just a second. There's a wonderful opportunity for you. Kinetics USA is currently recruiting registered nurses from all over the world to work in healthcare facilities here in the USA. If you are interested, please apply at kineticsusa.com slash application. That's kineticsusa.com forward slash application. On with the show.
2: Just on one more note, one last question. You're going to move into the ICU now mm-hmm. and there's COVID happening. Mm-hmm. And you said that you were working with a lot of COVID patients. What has it been like? working with COVID patients because you've seen pre-COVID now in a hospital and you've seen in the middle of COVID and now you're about to get in the ICU. So it's gonna be like COVID to the extreme. What has that been like? What have you seen? Because there's this influx that you guys run out of beds. What was this like for you? It's incredibly stressful.
1: So I was able to see the pre-COVID situation as a student nurse. So when I started working as RN. I started precepting in July 28th. So at that time, COVID was there, but it wasn't to the extreme. So, you know, about the LA County and the Riverside County, we were hit the hardest during December, right after Christmas and, you know, in January and February. Oh God, it was horrible. I know probably this is not something someone would like to hear, but it was horrible, horrible, horrible. We were extremely over ratio. We could not provide the patient care we were supposed to because there wasn't any way because they were extremely short of nurses. They were extremely short of doctors. We were running out of beds. We were running out of ventilators. We were running out of oxygen masks. We were running out of everything. And unfortunately, so it was basically by the time I started working as a nurse By myself, I wasn't supposed to be floated to other floors or COVID floors, at least for the first six months. And, you know, none of those agreement in the contract were held because, you know, none of us were expecting this. Everybody was dealing with something that they never saw before or experienced before. So, you know, we complained a lot, you know, there were mismanagements from the hospital, blah, 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 but it's new for everybody. They were trying the best they could. And it was extremely difficult to see all the deaths. And I'm not talking about, you know, someone who's in their 70s or 80s or someone who has a lot of secondary health problems. I have seen people die in their 30s. I have seen people like only secondary problem they had was diabetes. And at these days, unfortunately, you know, given our... Food choices here in the US, a lot of people have diabetes. And, you know, if that's going to lead you towards death and when you get COVID, that's a very uh, unfortunate news to hear. And it was extremely difficult. And we had two morgues that could hold up to 20 people and we couldn't hold the bodies anymore. So our hospital had to rent out a satellite truck that could hold up to 50 bodies. That we had to park outside our parking lot, just so that we could, you know, stack up the bodies. And unfortunately, another thing is, people died a very disrespectful death. Let's just put it that way. So there was this lady in her thirties, and you know, it was really hard for me to see that because my mom is in her late forties, and I just could not watch someone in her thirty go into code blue. So you know, code blue means their heart stopped. So there was this lady. The only secondary problem she had was diabetes and obesity. And yeah, all of a sudden, and okay, so just to give you a little visual detail, because of COVID, we had to shut every room and make it a negative pressure room. And, you know, given the hospital I work at, they were struggling very much with resources. So when you announce the code blue, you're supposed to hear it from every single corner of the hospital. But the way the COVID rooms were made and because of the negative pressure, if you're in a room and you're taking care of a patient, giving meds or doing your assessment and there is a code blue happening, I don't know, three rooms next door, you couldn't hear it staying in that room because, you know, everything was shut, closed to make that room a negative pressure room. So just think about it. Like I was in that situation or my mom was in that situation. Basically, that person's heart stopped and nobody knows. So, you know, nobody's gonna know until someone steps food in that room and finds out. So that's when we decided to put all our COVID patient on heart monitor so we could see that at least their heart is beating. (laughs) So, you know, there wasn't any med surge COVID patients anymore because everybody had to be on the monitor. So anyway, to go back to the story, so this lady, her heart stopped and we started doing a code blue. And, you know, of course the residents came in and we did CPR on this lady for one hour. And, you know, you're not supposed to do CPR on a person for that long because it just means that whatever epinephrine you're pushing in, the heartbeat or whatever you're seeing on the monitor, is just from that epinephrine. But it was just so hard for us to let her go because she is so young and I don't know. She's mother of someone. She's sister of someone. She's someone's daughter. She's not supposed to go like this. And, you know, we are supposed to pronounce someone dead. If we did CPR for like a solid 30 minutes and, you know, none of the Epis worked, none of the ACLS meds worked, we are supposed to let them go. But, you know, it was just so hard for, we just, we kept on trying, pushing Epis every three minutes, but we had to let her go. And the, most disrespectful thing was that after she passed, there was another person in the next bed in the same room. She was still laying in there for 18 more hours because family would not come to take the body. He did not have place in the morgue to put her. So basically, think about the person who was literally next bed. He saw all this go down and she's thinking, oh, maybe I'm next. And maybe I'm going to be laying cold like that. It's just so scary. Even, like, talking about it gives me goosebumps. I, like, I sincerely pray no one has to go through this. And, you know, you have seen, like, the news in, from Italy, how they're digging mass grave and putting people all together because nobody knows how to deal
2: with these things anymore. Thank you for sharing that. And what city are you in? What area? I know you said the LA County, but where, what area? Are you so in? Um, my
1: County is uh, considered the Riverside County, but oh, I was talking about like the LA County was hit first in December. And then it was us, uh, Riverside County. I'm, uh, so the hospital I'm working, I'm working in, it's called Hemet, Hemet Valley Medical Center, but I don't live there. I live in Medicaid. It's like
2: a 25 minutes drive. If you're from San Diego, like, Riverside, Orange, LA, we just call it LA. (laughs) You talk to somebody from LA and they're like, no. (laughs) Especially Orange County. They're like, what? Oh, oh yeah. (laughs) They're like, they're rich and (laughs) yeah. They're like, oh, you're separated. Well, thank you for sharing that story. That's incredibly powerful. It is. It's very powerful for you to share that because that's not easy. And I got goosebumps, as you're telling me, but that's something that everyone is dealing with in a different way. So it's, I can only understand of how difficult it must be. My sister, she works in New Jersey in a hospital and she's a resident there. And yeah, she's like working 24 hour shifts and all that. It's like days in a row. I don't know how she does it, but she was talking about covid and she was saying very similar stories and she got it too she was asymptomatic thank goodness did you get super sick i did i had like a 102 fever for a whole week and yeah i used to run before
1: now i like it's been so long i still feel like if i run i get
2: short of breath but it will it will get better it just takes time that's all good for you for running in the first place I can't even do a mile without wanting to die I don't like running at all good 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 for you you keep you get back into that running mode that's good and whenever you get there, you're gonna be like yes I beat the COVID <laughs> yes, I know that would be my sign <laughs> that's your sign it was so great to talk to you to me, and, and I love meeting you and you're such a wonderful person with a good heart. And oh, I'm thank so, you. you know, the United States is thankful and lucky to have someone like you. Oh, <laughs> uh, thank you for saying that. Yes. Yeah. I had yeah. fun talking to you too. I love this. It's so great to hear your story. And, and the immigrants that come here, it's like you're warriors. You've been through it. You have done the struggle. You've done the work you know, in in a very different way than most people have to. And and you've you know the idea that you've conquered is something that's very strong for character. And I can see that you have that. Oh thank you. That you I conquered that. And, and you have this thank strong you. character and this resolution and this this drive and just keep going. It's inspiring. It really is And this video is going to be very inspiring.
1: Thank you so much. Thank it was you.
2: Nice you. You too. Take
0: care. Bye. If you enjoyed the episode, go ahead and hit the follow button on your podcast player and leave us a review. Kinetics USA is currently recruiting registered nurses from all over the world to work here in the USA. We offer direct hire, meaning you will be sponsored and hired directly by American healthcare facilities. If you're interested, please apply at kineticsusacom application That's kineticsusa.com forward slash application. Thank you for listening. Tune in next week for more incredible conversations.